Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's <coughs> Wednesday night. <coughs> I did one earlier today. Let me see if I can do tefillah tonight. I'm trying to catch up and be as efficient as I can this week. Uh, but I'll do the. Tef- I'll try. I'll try to do something about tefillah before I do the uh, haftorah. As always, this is uh, sponsored by Mishpach Stefanski. <coughs> and I'll get right into it. And I'll tell you the origin. It's something from this week's Parsha. When I was in Florida, as I say, I was doing the Shnai Mikra. It's all, you, I didn't have any books with me at all. So, um, the only thing you can do is the Shnai Mikra on, on, uh, on the cell phone. And uh, it has the Rashi with it. So I was looking at the Rashis as I'm going through it. <coughs> Meaning the uncle is in the Rashis. And, uh... One or two caught my attention, and I'm going to share it with you right now, uh, Lagabi Davening, because we have in this week's Parsha, uh, maybe the first example of regular Davening ever. By that I mean Moshe Rabbein is praying to the God to forgive the Jewish people. It's a tefillah. And you see, he doesn't know what to do, and Hashem's like guiding him. He's trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And what was the proper way to daven? The very term I'm using davening is the Latin word for praying. Um, <clears throat> what you hadn't told that was people offering sacrifices, which is a different thing. Uh, God had already ordained sacrifices. At Mount Sinai, they had sacrificed animals. Right? The Nari, B'nai Yisrael, and all that business. So, that's one mahalach. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about prayer to Hashem particularly within the context that we have over here, petitionary prayer, which is what you and I do. <coughs> Excuse me. In the case of Moshe Rabbeinu, this is generated by the sin of the golden calf and he his need to do something about it. But it doesn't mean he knew exactly how to daven. And Rashi, Chazal people, get, if I understand this correctly, um, seem to be indicating that God is showing him little by little the proper way to proceed. And Moshe starts the ball rolling, and that's what you and I do today, although it's a little bit confusing. <laughs> so in other words, they made Deglaz off, and then Vayichal Moshe, Moshe prayed. No, Vayichal means he begged. And there's something very fascinating here, and if you're interested, you'll pursue this on your own. And that's from the Rambam's father. And by that I mean that they have now the commentary on the Chumash, Breshish and Shmos from Avram ben Rambam, Rambam's son. Which is a chip off the old block. Very Maimonidean, you won't be surprised in his approach. Very, extremely interesting to me. And when it comes to this business, which is very confusing, I just touched on it on my podcast this morning, this afternoon. The whole story with the Egel Azov and the aftermath is, is the opposite of clear. But one of the things that emerges that Moshe goes and prays for the Jewish people to get the sin forgiven, but I thought he already did it before. And there happens to be a Gillian over here. No, there's like an essay or something that is included in the commentary of Avon Ben Arambam from his grandfather. That was from the father 
of Moses Maimonides, Maimon, okay? It was a big rabbi in Spain. <clears throat> and obviously this is all from the Arabic. And this is a, uh, I have the, you know, the, what's it called from Suleiman Sassoon? You know, the old, the old copy came out in the 50s from that, from that manuscript. And um, here's the part that captured my attention. Um, when Moshe says, Show me what to do. One of the things Moshe is saying is, you know, teach me how to pray. Because i got to teach the others. I myself don't know exactly how to approach you. I'm a little bowled over by the fact that you, that you, you know, that you uh, change your mind and, 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 and are not killing everybody. Which makes no sense. And I see, therefore, God can be changed by prayer. Even though my <coughs> philosophical... Knowledge tells me that God cannot be convinced by prayer, <laughs> you see? And so Moses is faced with the paradox of prayer from day one. If God is perfect and all-knowing, and this and that and the other is shlemus, then you can't affect him by the davening, and yet the whole idea of the davening is that. So this is not a problem that David Katz has over here today. Moshe Rabbeinu had this problem 3,000 years ago. He's trying to figure out what the heck is going on, and he's asking God for help. And uh, Maimon, the father of, of the Rambam, says, I'm quoting a small piece here. It's a long piece. And for those of you who are interested, well, Stefanski is anybody else, you take a look at it yourself. <coughs> if you, uh, it's, a, it's an, off an art. And it says, I'm reminding, um, that it, and he talked to me, to said but also shah lo kadma esel hashliach al v'sham yediyas midosav shal kadosh baruchun. At that moment, the shliach, Moshe Rabbeinu, um, did not already have previous knowledge of God's Midos. So I've said this many times. The story in Shemos is a story of spiritual evolution. Moshe Rabbeinu, by the time you finish Shemos, is not the same guy at the burning bush. And he's not the same guy at the splitting of the Red Sea. Because that guy doesn't know yet about the Hamimah and Sinai, etc., etc. So it seems to me that the peak of the experience comes in the aftermath of the Golden Cave. And that's what he's saying over here. He didn't know how to be a male Yosher. How does one daven on behalf of someone else to Rabbani Shalom if God is all wise and all knowing? This is the paradox of prayer that we spoke about many times. Um, so Moshe on the spur of the moment, the best thing he could do was come up with the Obos. Zechor, Lavadech, Lavram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, you know, whatever it says over there. Vaychal Moshe, you know, Zechor, Lavram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Lamar. Which means that if you and I were having a let our hair down session and talking like a breast lover to God, and we didn't have nothing particular to say, you'd say, but remember my Obos, you know, who uh, have been from for thousands of years, they're trying their best, give me some zechusobos over here, help me out. That's the best Moshe could come up with. Um, and indeed it worked. So it really worked. But listen very, very closely. But Moshe didn't know it. 
So what I mean is the following. When we read the Chumash, it's mamish like you and me today. I daven, and let's say I had a good Shem Let's just say I had a good Shem That just means I feel good about what I, you know, I didn't have Machshav uh, Zoros. I didn't, I had Kavona. You know, that kind of, in other words, meet CD. I don't know if that prayer is going to be answered. I could have a very good Shimon Esri and say, Bonjour, send me a million bucks today. You could have a good davening. Doesn't mean you're going to get the million bucks. How would I know? And same thing over here. <clears throat> it's fascinating. Again, this is according to the Maimon. <coughs> the father of the Rambab. He says, when when Moshe says, Notice, Whatever it says over there. See, he said best thing he could come up with in the moment. Remember, <coughs> Moshe was caught off guard. He was getting the Ten Commandments, Mamsha, that moment. And at that moment, when he's on a high, thinking about the, the Torah he's about to bring down, God says, so he was like taken, like whacked over the head with a two by four. And Hashem said, I'm going to kill them all. And Moshe just, on the spur of the moment, came up with whatever he could come up with, which was, Vaychal, you know, Zechor Lavadecho, Avni Tego Yavadecho. The Pasuk goes on to say, Vaynochem Hashem Alaro, Asher Dibu But Moshe didn't know that, according to Maimon. You, the reader of the Chumash, know that. When the Chumash was finally written down, Dictated by God to Moshe. Moshe himself said, like son of a gun, I did not know. I had no idea. <laughs> the same way that you and I, if we daven, we don't know, we cannot know whether our prayer hit the jackpot, unless, you know, you tuck a fine the million bucks that day. You know, that, that's not so common, right? But it, it, it indeed worked. So you can call this the first example a successful petitionary prayer, at least on behalf of the Jewish people. Okay? Because um, I can't think about Mitzvah Yaakov doing that. Not not offhand. Uh, can you? I don't believe so. Now, uh, and the most I can think of in terms of davening or, or talking to God, because that's what davening is, is when the slaves cried out, you know, Vatal Shabbosem Elohim Min Avodah. But that's just like, Oi! Oi! We can't stand this anymore. That is, a, that is a certain type of prayer, no question about it. I'm not knocking that at all. But that's not a formal type of prayer. Moshe Rabbeinu is the first example I can sing of formal tefillah. Uh, when I say formal, not that we do it, although in the course of Jewish history, we end up that we do do it. <clears throat> so anyhow, because You see, he says, that by contrast, when it came to Meraglim, Hashem said the word, Solachti Kidvarecha. Oh, so then I know. But that's not what happened here at Egozov. And so there, Moshe went on to all kinds of other things. I won't go through it, it's just too long. But this, uh, I was spurred to this by Rashi, because when Moshe says, you know, Harani Nos Kodecho, which is really what every person who davens seriously is always asking, even though you know, you know the answer is no, but I mean, the, you're supposed to when you, when you daven. If you if you were a uh, what's the right word, an erlich yid, you know a a a, a yid. Uh, how should I put it? Truly a spiritual person. 
You're not just trying to knock off Mincha, you know. But if you're a really, you know, honorable spiritual person, then uh, indeed you you know you 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 when every time you daven you're basically saying like this, Harini knows You should feel that way. Doesn't mean you're going to get it any more than Moshe but you, you you should want it, right? You should want it instead of simply saying like this. Well, that's beyond me. You know, I'll be glad if one percent of what I daven for gets through. No, you shouldn't be clear about it. You should try to get 100%, you know, whatever you can get. So, what was the answer when Moshe said, Harini nos kodecho? So, God says in uh, 3321, it's a hinim of something very weird, which made me open, which after this Rashi made me look at Moshe Nebuchim. And this has to do with the Dami we do every day. Hashem said, Hinim akomi tibini tzavta alatzur. There's a place next to me. And I want you to stand on the rock on, on Har Sinai. What does that mean? What does it mean that there's a place, you know, near me? Obviously, God's not physical. On the other hand, there's a physical dimension to this. Rashi says, When we You hear that? It's Rashi. There's a place, there's a place that's prepared for me, I set aside, for you. Now, there is a spatial side to this. Let me see the translation here of Rashi. On the mountain where I always speak with you, I have a place prepared for you where I can hide you so you're not harmed, and you'll see what you shall see. So, Hashem Taka said to Moshe, come to a certain place, and there... I'll answer you to the degree that a person can answer. I'm not going to show you the way you want to see it, but I'll show you a bit of it. You know, because you say you see my back and not my front. That whole story. Right? Because before he said you can't see my face. So whatever it is that you can see, whatever you can see, there's a certain place. So that sounds funny. There's like a spatial component to this. <clears throat> that, it strikes me, is the basis of what we do. We go to a place called the Shoal, or some place like that, based on English, if you prefer, and uh, and there's a place there, not that God is there, because that's not the point. God is telling you there is a place where um, where you will be able to gain a better perception than ordinarily you, you would have. And it sounds very philosophical. I can hide you there, you won't you won't get hurt. Because, you know, the glory of God was going to pass over the rock, and, you know, Moshe had to hide in the cleft of the mountain, and so on and so forth. But to me, especially in the context of tefillah, it's saying there's a certain place where I can hide you that you won't be hurt. Meaning, if you daven in a certain way, as we would say today, according to the Nusachos, prepared for the and people like that, you know, big people, uh... You can see, apprehend parts of God in a safe way. The davening in the sitter is not identical with some heavy-duty Arizal business in which, you know, you can fry your brain if you do it wrong. You know what I mean? If you, if, if you mess up, you're, you're, you're toast. But if you daven, like we have the Shemona Esri and all that, which we understand to go back a long time ago, and by people that were great, Tanoim Amarayim, you know, uh, superhuman. I'll say it again, superhuman. 
So the prayers are arranged in such a way that uh, they constitute a mokam, mokam l'tzarcha, atmircha sham shalotizok. So you can see whatever it is a person's capable of seeing without getting hurt. Which is the basic idea of dominating. Because a person can always say, I want to hit higher madrega, and I'll, I'll lock myself in a room like you hear some of these famous figures in the past did, and I'll get into some kind of his boat situation, and I go to higher madregas and this and the other. You can also die from that. You can fry your brain. You can crack up. You can go nuts. Happened a lot of times in Jewish history. If you want regular prayer for for everybody, but you utilizing at its fullest potential, then ish machom mukon And to me, the makom mukon would be the sitter. I don't think it's the synagogue per se. It could be, because it is definitely a spatial aspect. But I understand it more that there's. Uh, something physical to it. it doesn't have to be spatial exactly. Something physical. So there's a possibility within Judaism of seeing some aspect of God, which is what you're supposed to, which the davening really is all about, if you strip away from the other things. You're really not supposed to worry about a million bucks. I just use that for example, because that's what gets people's attention. But really, 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 it's supposed to be Lishma. And what you daven for every day, three times a day, I mean, we ain't home by this Madriga, but you're supposed to, is Harini knows Kodecha. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu. He ain't the only guy that's allowed to do it. Everybody can do it. And you'll get whatever answer you get. And there's a Makom, Asherat Mincha Shem Shalot Tisok. You know, there's a, there's a place or there's a way or a Nusachat Fila or something like that. And God says, I can hide you from the negative consequences of the speaking of high, uh, the seeking of higher forms of spirituality and tira masha tira and zeb shuta rashi says and then he says the madrash is from uh, meshraba that hashem was teaching him something else which is the reverse i understand it of the previous okay that moshe Rabbeinu perceived the shechina speaking or communicating from some spot, which was at the top of the mountain. And he was saying, HaMakom Iti, and not Aniba Makom. Makom Shalom, Makomo. Which is fascinating, because, uh, I think this is my understanding of it, that, you know, Moshe heard a voice. I don't know if it was exactly a voice, but, you know, he heard something, or he, he got a communication somehow or other, from the top of the mountain. It sounds like, and we use this language, Hashem came down to Harsinai. That's the language we talk about. You have this kind of language in the Chumash. So that sounds like there's a Makom, and God operates within the Makom. The only thing is, He's so powerful, He can go back and forth, up and down, all over the place, inside out, real fast. So He could be in California, and a second later, a split second later, He could be in Paris. So in other words, space is a constant, and God is operating within that constant. And it's very clear to me that when the Jews heard the Ten Commandments, that's what they must have thought. God is upstairs on the top of the mountain. That's why there's lightning and thunder and all this other business. He's up there. We're down here. He's not where we are. He can see us. If he wants to, he can come down and punish us. But he's up there. And Moshe is going up the mountain to talk to him because that's where he is. He's upstairs. He's not downstairs. Uh, which again, 
the worshiper, Stamazoi, says like this, I'm standing here in Shul. God is in heaven. I'm, I'm sending my prayers out to heaven. Like the Shulchan Aruch says, you're supposed to have a kavana that your davening should go. This is a din. Your davening should go to Yushalayim and it should go to the Kodesh Gadoshim, and then upstairs into uh, the Kisei HaKovet. So it sounds like it's a spatial business and the Kisei HaKovet is at the top of the food chain, you know, all the way up Jack and the Beanstalk. He's all the way at the top. And I'm sure plenty of people throughout Jewish history have davened that way. And they may be wrong, but I mean, it's it's not a bad thing per se. It just wasn't correct. They were they were you they were doing the same thing Moshe was doing, which is trying to get a handle on the majesty of God, which is not an easy thing to do. So Zot the Medrash Rashi says that Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu a Maimonide and Vort, and he was saying like this: Actually, I'm not at the top of the mountain. which means so in other words, actually, Moshe, I am talking to you. You perceive it like I'm up here at the top of the mountain, but actually I don't exist in space. I created space. You can't even use the words exist then. Because in other words, God creates time and creates space. So there's no such thing as God being located within space in the sense that, you know, the space is a constant and he's operating within it. But God is the, is the creator of space. The space has no ultimate reality. Space is a created business. Um, which is, like I say, a, a Mernabuchim type vart. And so, this Rashi is fascinating to me in terms of davening, because in the first half, they're telling you, what shall I say, a sort of push-up shot type vart. And the second one, they're telling you a Mernabuchim vart. You think I'm kidding. If those are interested, if you look at the, in, in chapter 8, I just looked it up, in the first part of Mernabuchim, where he talks about anthropomorphisms, and he gets to Mokom, you know, and he says, the Ram, this is the Rambam, of course, he says, you can't use the word Mokum for God, because he created Mokum. So, instead, you use um, Madregas. Because in Hebrew language, you can use the word Mokum not only for space, uh, meaning physical space. Even in rhetoric, for example, somebody quit. I took your place. We use that language. I'm your Mamala Mokum. That doesn't literally mean... I occupied the physical space that you occupied. Let's say, for example, you know, you, you know what I mean, right? It's the expression. It's it, it, in the words of the Rambam. Of course, I'm reading a a translation, you know, Ibn Tibbin, but he says, So you mean it like in space. We can also mean your madrega, your milo, your 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 um, your worth. You know, you're, you're, you're standing. I, I, I took your place, like I said before. Or, as we say today, this guy's irreplaceable. So, you don't mean that in the sense of, of, of space. Uh, and in the course of this, it's not such a long paragraph. Those of you who are interested in reading it will, will, will obviously do so. And you'll see that he makes a mention over there of our puzzle. And he says... Um, that, you know, when it says that's in the book of Yecheskel, so it means not blessed be the glory of God in this place. In other words, the covet of God is not in a certain place in heaven called Makomo, but rather 
So Baruch Kvar Hashem and Komo on his Madrega, which is beyond beyond. And Hamashal Olav Mashabiyarnu Baruch Kvar Hashem and Komo Shato Teta Zenyim Beatzmo Hinyim Makom Is a Hinyim Makom Iti Madregas Igim Ashkafas Asichol Lo Ashkafas Ayin. That when Hashem says to Moshe, this is the Rambam talking, not Rashi. That when Hashem says to Moshe, Hinyim Makom Iti. There's a place here, not a physical place that you can find me, but a, a, a level of there's a, a sense of perception. Okay? But it's, he uses the language of a heart. on the mountain. Very important. What the Rambam is saying there, as I understand it, is that Hashem was saying that there is a madrega that I want you to attain, a perception of me that I want you to attain. It's not the real thing, you know, because it's beyond human. You can't see my face. But there's a perception of my reality that you're going to obtain, uh, attain, rather. But but to do this, you need a mukam hispotidus, as the Rambam puts it. You see? You need a uh uh hashlemus. So you need a quiet spot. And that's why we have the idea in Shmonesri thing is everybody's quiet. Uh, and, and matter of fact it's a big sin to raise your voice in in Davening Shmonesri and other places also. Because why are you staring me? If I go to Shoal, especially it's the idea of a Mukam Kavu of when it works. Against a wall, wherever. I'm really looking for a place to attain, as the Ram just puts it, Hashkafas, even by Hashkafas Seichel, Lo Hashkafas I'm going to show the Davin not to attain some physical image of God, but rather, even by Hashkafas Seichel, which is hard. I've spoken about this in the past, to uh, think of God as something which is invisible, and of course, God is also not invisible. He created that also, but I'm not going to get into that. But to think of something, uh, you know, non-physical, abstract, requires even Bashkov Seichel. How do you do that? How do you walk in the shul from Mincha or from Arav and you just immediately tr- transition to Bashkov Seichel? You need a place, you need a certain concentration. Now, uh, this is what the Hasidim Rishonim were all about, right? It took an hour before, an hour during, and an hour after. The hour, you know, you know what I'm talking about. The hour before is to, and I don't know if it's exactly 60 minutes, but in other words, it took a period of his bodhis pasogas and seichel. You go to a place, and then you get yourself out of the, the, the idea of place. So you repeat the original experience of Moses. The davening that we do is this, as I see, this Rashi in both senses. Makomi T and Makomi T. Then on the one hand, there's a Makom Mukhan Lutzarcha Choshat Mikhashalotizok. There's a place you should go to, like we say today, a shoal or something like that. A place you go to, maybe a mental place, maybe a physical place, which is a, a safe spot. And then you transcend yourself out of the context of place altogether. But in order to do that, you need his bodhis and Hasakas Ashlemus. So that you'll be able to attain uh, hashkafas aseichel ve'iun, ve'lo hashkafas 
you know, Rio. Okay? Lower Shkofa's iron. So you have to like close your eyes or something like that. I mean, everybody does it different. Something like that. You have to close your eyes and, you know, t- take yourself away from from space already. Uh, that's that's quite a task. But it seems to me that uh, this week's parsha, this uh, Rashi in particular, this story where where Hashem tells Moshe how to daven is, uh, is really significant, right? And uh, if you're interested in what I'm saying at all, take a look at yourself and go check it out. Uh, because uh, it says a little earlier that uh, when Hashem said, "Ani avir kol tuvi alpanecha v'karosi Hashem Hashem b'panecha v'brichamti z'asher rachim," Rashi says, "Lamedcha seder b'koshes rachim." Hashem said that's two or three pesukim before what I was just talking about. So Hashem is saying, "I'm telling, I'm gonna tell you how to daven." Lamedcha seder b'koshes rachim. Afin tichol z'chusavos. Even if you don't use chusavos, in other words. When you did Vayichal, you used Chusavos. I'm going to tell you how to daven without simply saying, remember my father. Of course, that's important. But how do you daven for me? Right? On my own. Hashem was telling Moshe Raji, he says, that when you see me looking like I'm utof, covering the talis, and saying, Hashem shil rachem you know, Vayavar Hashem upon a Vayikrab would be Hashem saying it. Then you repeat that and t- go downstairs and tell the Jews how to daven. Because Rachel Mechanun, it never it ends. No, that's that's unlimited. So, um, I've already spoken a long time, but I'm simply pointing out that if you're serious about the Indian of Tfil at all, you might want to look at, at the Ravi'i, from Ravi'i Hamishi in Parshas Kisiso, and follow the Rashis closely, and then apply them to your own experience, because it seems to me, as far as I can tell, this is the first time in Jewish history this happens, and it's not simply the first time, but it's the model. As as it said, mm-hmm. So Hashem is saying, this is how one goes about davening, which means... <coughs> That it's that you have a story within a story within a story within a story. Not only is the story the golden calf and the forgiving golden calf, and all the other stuff that goes along with that, but you also have the story that Moshe said like this. So how do we operate in the future when we screw up? Because we're going to screw up. People are human. And what happens when Tom Schusovus uh, when he can't simply say I'm Ritzig Yaakov? I should say, well, I'll show you what to do. I'll show you. because in other words, Philo is obviously going to be a necessity. Now, this raises the question, had they not messed up with the golden calf, would they need tefillah? That's an interesting speculative business. Maybe some other time I'll return to that. But for now, I already went uh, long enough. Once again, I want to... So take a look. I'm, I'm serious. If you're the type of person listening to the tefillah podcast because you're interested in the subject of tefillah, I would argue that you would really want to pay close attention to Ravi Chamishi in this week's uh, Parsha. Uh, and with that... I want to once again thank Mishpacha Stefanski as always and wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.